as a child, along with my siblings. On Christmas Eve, we would put out a plate of freshly baked cookies, or sometimes store-bought Oreos, and a glass of cold milk for Santa, who we expected and we anticipate would be coming. This food was a gesture of welcome and care as we provided Santa a snack on his journey around the globe. Any of you all practice that tradition as children? Or practice it with your children or grandchildren? Putting out cookies and milk for Santa and perhaps a few carrots for the reindeer really took off as an American holiday tradition in the 1930s during the Great Depression. In a time of great economic hardship, many parents tried to teach their children that it was important to care and give to others and to show gratitude for the gifts that they would be fortunate enough to receive on Christmas. Roots of this tradition of putting out cookies and milk or other food can be traced back through the centuries and vary from country to country. In France, Santa may enjoy a glass of wine and some cheese, or a pint of Guinness and some potato patties in Ireland. In Germany, the food may be substituted for a personal letter written to Santa. Throughout the centuries, the loving gestures have been about showing welcome, hospitality, love, and care. It's been about the anticipation, expectation, and preparation to welcome and to host a special guest coming. For some, they have been graced and blessed by St. Nick's visits in past, and they now long for his coming again. And for others, they've only heard of his visits and hope he will find his way to their home this year. Some scholars trace the origin of putting out food and treats to the beginning celebration of the Feast of St. Nicholas that falls each year on December 6th. The day marked Bishop Nicholas's death in 343 AD when many churches around the globe celebrated this past Friday. Another tradition of, of my childhood on Christmas Eve after putting out the cookies and milk would be to gather around the Christmas tree with my siblings and my parents to listen to two stories read usually by my mother. The first was from the Bible, and it was one of the gospel stories of Jesus' birth, typically from the Gospel of Luke. The other was a poem, The Night Before Christmas, written by Clement Clark Moore. Some of you may be familiar with one or both the stories, or maybe even practice those traditions. Moore's poem, well known and loved the world over, begins, "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. I don't know if he intended it, or if he was just so steeped in Anglican theology that it seeped in. But his poem translates some profound adult themes to a child's level. The feelings of expectation, anticipation, and preparation pervades the poem. Stockings hung, the tree decorated, 
treats left out for a mysterious special visitor who would come in the quiet of the night. Hope is tangible as children's dreams are full of sugar plums, fairies, and wonderful visions. All that was because they had faith that something wonderful was going to happen. These are all Advent themes for those who know God. The coming day of the Lord is something Christians look forward to with expectation and hope. The gospel reading for this second week of Advent from Matthew is appropriately placed in this season as it's a message of expectation and preparation. John the Baptist comes to bear witness to Christ's light. John is Jesus' cousin, six months older, and he has known Jesus since he was in his mother's womb, Elizabeth. And Mary came and was present, and he leapt with joy. The opening nine tells us that he was sent from God. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And in the passionate way of prophets, compelled to share his experience. We remember that as an adult, this man's passion and energy attracted hundreds to his side to repair Jesus' entrance. <coughs> of his time, John was Bono. He was Martin Luther King Jr. He was Ryan Niebuhr. He was a prophet and, and proclaimed of God's coming. Both his words and his deeds explode with the message that Jesus is about to walk through the door. John's life of witness is to point to the life of Jesus Christ. And John, the light of Christ, shines through with distinction, color, shape. Yet, as John repeatedly declares, it is not his own light that creates the pattern, but the light of Christ shining through him. As one stepped in our journey to our own life of witness, I'd like for us to reflect on another life of witness, a life shown with the light of Christ, a life that lived the likeness of Christ. I mentioned him earlier and shared that many churches around the world celebrated his life and witnessed this past Friday, December 6th. It's St. Nicholas. The man, Nicholas, was born around the year 280 in Lycia, a coastal town along the Mediterranean Sea, in a land now known as Turkey. As a child, he was known as being pious and religious. He became bishop of the city of Myra, and his many acts of unusual kindness were remembered and retold. The most common story about the kindly bishop recounts his saving virtue of three sisters who were about to be sold into slavery since their poverty-stricken father could not offer the dowry necessary for marriage. The good bush bishop snuck by the house one night and threw three bags of gold through the window of their house. Later legends tell of 
throwing the bags down the chimney and they landed in stockings hung by the fire to dry. Stories of the bishop calming raging seas, saving seamen and children are many. All these stories have the common theme of rescue, kindness, and caring. After the good bishop's death, December 6, 343, he was declared a saint by popular acclamation. He would gain a great following simply because he had been kind and approachable during his life. Students, sailors, marriageable young women, vagabonds, crooks, those who had less status in the eyes of the church, felt more comfortable calling upon him as a saint than the more austere and venerated figures. By the end of the Middle Ages, his veneration spread from Turkey into major portions of the European population. People dressed the Bishop of Myra according to their own traditions. In Russia, he was an icon with long flowing white beard and dressed in shimmering gold and white vestments. He's known there as a wonder worker as well as a protector of the weak against the strong. In Ireland, his supposed grave is decorated with Celtic designs. In a predominantly Muslim country of Turkey, an international peace conference is held every year in his name. In Dutch, his name was pronounced Sinterklaas. The Dutch immigrants brought him here to America, but he remained a kind and benevolent bishop who shone with the light of Christ. St. Nicholas' life of witness has shown since Nicholas's childhood. The day set aside in the church calendar to remember his, this life of witness is December 6th. His connection with people from generation to generation is that we experience in his life the light of Christ. Nicholas, as a young child, parents died from the plague. He would go to live with his uncle, who was an Anglican priest, and would later become a bishop, Nicholas's bishop. He would become a catechumenate. He would be formed as a Christian, as a Christ-like follower of Christ. He would come to use his wealthy inheritance to be shared with others graciously and unconditionally. As bishop, he cared for his community. He walked the streets. He talked with the people. He shared their concerns. And he found ways to address the needs. His energy is not explosive, but persistent and pervasive. It goes beyond kind and gentleness. His witness brings the light of Christ to us so that we can experience it too. It may be a moment when an act of kindness in our time of great need so profoundly gives comfort that we are changed. It may be that we are rescued from danger, life-threatening danger of our own poor choices, or danger being swept away by causes beyond our control. It may be that we are restored to our lives by an act of generosity that grabs us up on the edge of the abyss. As Christians, 
Our lives are to be lives of witness that shine with the many colors of Christ's light, comfort, rescue, restoration, and love. It is a life orientation so that we turn toward His light, Christ's light. It's a focus outward to share our experience of Christ's light. It is words to describe how our lives are changed and deeds that bring that experience of change to others. Our lives are to be like St. Nicholas, a life of witness that shines with our experience of Christ's light out to others. The season of Advent is a time of expectation, anticipation, preparation for not only the coming of Christ's child into the world long ago, but the Christ child who's coming to the end in our lives anew. John calls us to hold a mirror up to ourselves and to see if the reflection we see is Christ's likeness. If we're unsure, let us take our example from good Saint Nick. And whatever Nicholas reflected, it was most clearly the calling of all of us to be like Christ, to be other Christ in the world. And that possibly, as Nicholas himself has shown, is hidden in each of us like a Christmas surprise. It is there because God put it there. God is, after all, the giver of all good gifts, the one who can turn a baby into a savior, an obscured fourth century bishop into Santa Claus, and all of us and a sense of God. O merciful God, who sent your prophets to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and Sustainer. Amen.